Hello and welcome to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people and launching the lives of extraordinary mission. My name is Dan Demite and I'm joined here in the studio with Patrick Rice. Patrick, how are you? I'm so good, brother. How are you? <laughs> I am living the dream this morning. So mm-hmm. Patrick mm-hmm. Encounters, a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, which is awesome. And we are going to open today's episode of Encounter in Prayer. Can you launch us, Patrick? Absolutely. I'm going to do so with the Word of God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians. There is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you that you have created a family. And Lord, anything that's keeping um, families divided and separated, we ask you to break those mindsets in the name of Jesus. We ask you to fill us with the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, that we are called to have one Father and to be united as one family. So God, we praise you for the, the for who you are as our Father. We thank you for calling us to be a family. And we ask you to pour out that love, that compassion, and that boldness to be uniters of the family of God in Jesus' name. Lord, just so thankful for the grace that you've poured out in the church. And we pray for communion, that just that your Eucharistic grace would uh, just unite the church in a way that we've never seen unity. Lord, I pray for uh, oneness of mind and heart, oneness of uh, of the body, that we would just love each other and and, and hunger for evangelization uh, to be taken to the streets like never before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dude, uh, Patrick, so we're, we're going to uh, have on our show today this great guy named Alex Godin. He's got such an interesting background. Uh, he grew up in a broken home. Gotay? Gotay. Gotay, that's it. Right. Um, and it was so interesting because uh, he grew up in this broken home and was, uh, you know, from high school to high school to high school and, and all through high school, just like getting kicked out of high schools, dropping out of high schools. And uh, and in high school, one of his teachers said, dude, you'll never go to college. <laughs> and now, uh, after encountering the powerful love of Jesus Christ, he has a doctorate degree. He has a master's in theology and philosophy. He's working on a third master's right now. It's just, it's just amazing that the Holy Spirit uh, transformed his life, and he's just living um, for the Lord uh, and for his people. So, Patrick, what are you looking forward to about this uh, this show? Dan, I like. I, I know Alex's heart. I know um, that he comes. He's not. He doesn't have the normal story. Everyone. It's not like I was raised Catholic and I went to church and it was just a bunch of dead rituals and then I became a sinner. No, like the guy was being raised to go to jail <laughs> in a, a, a very broken Afro uh, Hispanic world. Okay, so um, he's very a- aware of like the, a lot of division that exists in the church, and I think that. Um, Paul, multiple times in his letters, um, he actually confronts divisions like uh, that are kind of being put forward in the early church. Are you a Jew that became a Christian, or are you a Gentile that became a Christian? Like people's background um, was kind of a big deal. But here's the deal: like in the new covenant is so great that your past really gets thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, as you you know read about in Micah, that it, we become literally sons and daughters of God. Period. Not Gentile sons and daughters of God or Hispanic sons and daughters of God or American Anglo sons and daughters of God. We become sons and daughters of God, period. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the I think the um, what I'm really excited is that he has 
Uh, Alex is such a, a heart, I think a gifting for helping us identify, you know, and it, you know, hitting being uncomfortable. I think I, I hear, I hear this type of thing and coming from, um, you know, living in Southern Michigan where there's not a whole lot of uh, diversity, the fact that, man, the church is, is diverse, but it, within that, like we have to have unity. So I'm really excited to go after that topic. Yeah. You know, I and think for allow renewal, the mind to flow. And I'm just excited for our listeners to hear Alex's testimony. Cause I think even like the, what you're talking about, I think we're just so used to listening pe- to people that are like us, right? And even on Catholic radio, so often we just hear from people that talk like us. And uh, and so I think just this idea of hearing from someone who grew up in an urban environment and still talks like they grew up in an urban environment, but is vibrantly living their Catholic faith with boldness and courage is so valuable because it's it, that even makes us uncomfortable to an extent just to listen to his testimony. And there's yep. there's going to be so much valuable value here, listeners, to understand that the church is one because the Holy Spirit is the source of unity in the church. And if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate us as the Catholic faithful and make us one, how do we ever expect that the Lord's going to make uh, 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 heal? Like, how do we ever expect that we can heal the divisions throughout the the all the different brokenness in the Christian denominations? Right. That if we yeah, want to I mean, be one church, Holy we need spirit spirituality. You can't cry out, Abba, Father. Amen. Amen to that. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Alex. I'm so excited, listeners. You're listening to Encounter, and we'll be right back. CNA, the online service from EWTN News, is the only Catholic news source that's fast, reliable, and free with blogs, stories, opinions, and analysis, all at your fingertips. For the latest Catholic news, visit catholicnewsagency.com. Raymond Arroyo. We need EWTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this enterprise. She saw this as a holistic approach, reaching the whole person, bringing them truth and life. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I want you to have such confidence in the Lord that you'll find such hope and see the beauty of the Lord, the majesty of God. What did our Lord say, huh? If your sins are as scarlet, oh, what? What's going to happen? They shall be made white as snow. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Stay up to date on the latest EWTN TV and radio shows, books, art, CDs, and DVDs from Religious Catalog when you sign up for Wings, our weekly e-newsletter. Get Wings today at EWTN.com. Hello and welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people and launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. Dude, Patrick, we are going to welcome on the show Alex Gote. He is a youth minister in Texas. He's just been rocking the the young world with the gospel, sharing his powerful testimony and just doing an extraordinary ministry, allowing his own testimony uh, to inspire urban youth ministry, reaching out to uh, the unreached, reaching out to the unloved, those who haven't heard the gospel, and just bringing the powerful love of Jesus Christ uh, to to all the world. So, Alex, welcome to the show. 
Welcome, Alex. Yes, Alex. We're so excited to have you. And uh, I've just been inspired in getting to know you and just the the gift that you bring to the church. And I'm just so glad that you're just going to bring that gift to our audience today. Listeners, I pray that Alex's words would just penetrate your heart and allow you uh, to seek uh, more conformity to Jesus Christ, because Alex just lives a life like Jesus lives his life, which is the goal of all discipleship. So, so Alex, um, you are a convert to Catholicism, which is pretty amazing. Um, but yes, and so yeah. your story is going to be great. But you know, can you just share maybe what your life was like growing up for our listeners? Yeah. Um, so as far as like, so there's two sides to that. As far as like faith wise. Um, I didn't grow up in a household of faith really at all. It was more along the lines. Um, my parents were really young. Um, my mom was 13 years old whenever she had my older sister. She was 15 years old whenever she had myself and my twin brother. Um, and my biological father used to um, abuse my mother. And so what happened was we were both born, but my um, my twin brother was born dead. Oh, um, man. And so... That's kind of, and it's funny, man, like the more I sit with our Lord and like how adoption, spiritual adoption takes place is um, like real talk, man. I think that's what the good Lord has blessed me with like physically um, because, you know, we were like homeless, all those different things, um, so forth. And, you know, we met my father and um, and he's he's not my biological, but he is my father. Like he helped raise me. Um, he is the the man in my life, but he was, he's only like 16, 17 years older than me. So it was like being raised by an older brother. Um, and the funny thing is I thought all of us were like that growing up. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until I probably was about like 24, 25 that I started noticing, um, just being in different areas, uh, because of my faith life, to be honest with you. Um, it would put me in different predicaments to, I'm like, wait, hold up. Yo, they're not like that. Why are they thinking like that? And so forth. So I kind of realized that a lot of people didn't grow up like I did. Yeah. So um, where did where, yeah, so you grow up? What's, like, what, what city was it? So I'm a so I'm a military brat. Um, and I tell people this all the time is like, I think I had the best of both worlds is. Um, so I would spend a lot of time because my parents were mad young whenever they had me. I would spend a lot of time um, with both of my grandparents on both sides and a lot of my cousins during summers christmases and so forth um this will kind of tell you something i went to four different high schools um my freshman year i was always the new kid um now being raised in an afro-latino home um it it gives you a totally different perspective and then always being the new kid um that was like a whole new spin on everything and then plus um in an urban home um with an urban mindset that was like a whole other aspect. Again, the older I get, the more I reflect. Like I'm like, yo, I can't believe like I'm here and so forth. Um, so yeah, so always being the new kid, being thrust into um, just some of the things that I saw at home. And I want to make sure I say this before I kind of go down this road: is this is no shade in my words. Um, this is no uh, like downplay or whatever um, of my parents because you got to understand both of them came from broken homes and. Um, they were really, really young whenever they had us, um, especially like, I, man, I love my father to death, man. Like, I am, I mean this to, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If it wasn't for him, um, you know, I know that I would be in the penitentiary. There's not a doubt in my mind um, in saying that, you know, you 17, 16 years old, you taking on two kids that's not your own. 
um, and you come from a broken home and you're taking on people that are from a broken home, you tell me how the best thing, how you would be raising your children. So I I didn't think that a lot of um, my childhood was any different than anybody else. Um, And again, it wasn't until I was older. And you could just go down the list um, from the sexual abuse to the, um, you know, the drugs that you would see at home um, to the abuse. Just, I mean, literally just go down the list. Um, We were always surrounded by other people like us. And and it was a very multicultural, I got to make sure I say this, um, a very multicultural environment. Um, I always had, like, I was thinking about this, and then whenever I go around um, speaking and so forth, I always try to throw in um, just the different aspects and the multiculturalism that I was exposed to just as a kid. So I had, like, Guamanian friends. I had, like, you know, obviously um, African-American friends. I obviously had, like, Latino friends, Hispanic friends. Like, and so that was, like, always, like, I was always around um, Asian, white. Just go down the list. Um so it was very normal for me, but we were all like, this is the honest truth. Um, we're, we're all medium lower to lower income. And so, um, you know, there was no faith life. We were definitely poor to say the least. Um, I thank God for my deal um, because I would wait for his son to have uh, to um, go out of his clothes so that I can get clothes. I mean, there were times at Christmas, it's the honest truth, man, there were times at Christmas to where, like, all we got was, like, jeans and underwear and so forth, you know? Yeah. And again, I didn't think anything of it. Like, yo, I was a happy kid, like, real talk. Like, um, I always, I, I'm not playing, I literally would look forward to going to see my cousins because, uh, my older cousins, because I would get their hand-me-downs and I would get, like, things like bikes and so forth. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, um yeah, so I didn't think anything of it again until, like, I moved to the Houston area when I was, um, and again, I would go back and forth. I should have said that with my grandparents. My grandparents were in the Houston area, basically, and my um, other grandparents were um, in Brooklyn. And, and this was like, think about it, this is, you know, 80s, 90s. This is like crack era. So you would see things that, again, I thought everybody saw these things. Um, you would see things that, you know, they make movies out of it, you say without filling in the blank. Um, so, yeah, so those things, um, and, okay, so where was God in all those things? Like, my father is, well, he just told me, i said like a year ago, maybe less than that, that, like, um, he went to church. But it was hilarious because I was, I remember I looked at him and he was like, yo, 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 because that's how my pops talk. He's like, yo, 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 don't, I don't want to go down that aisle. Don't, don't, don't trip with me. Don't trip. In my words, what he's saying is, like, let me do, let me do my walk. Um, but, I didn't grow up in a home at all of like faith. Um, he was an atheist, to be real with you. And um, my mother, it just kind of depended on, I mean, she was just like, okay, I'm Christian one day. Um, and then, you know, with some Catholic upbringing because of my grandparents on both sides, now I'm thinking about it. Um, so, but we didn't go to church. The only time that I would go to church, um, again, I spent a lot of time with my cousins. And it was funny, in retrospect, I was thinking about this, my wife and I, um, my wife, I've been married 19 years um, to my queen, and she's helped me, like, process a lot of this stuff. And um, and so we were talking, and she was like, um, you know, you ever notice, like, Christmases and so forth, summers, you know, you were never really home. And I was like, yeah, I just I didn't really think too much about those kind of things. Um, and saying that one of the households that I would always go to um, is probably one of my favorite Dithis of all time, um, Dithi Rose. Um, she was brought up in a Catholic home, my father's side. But 
what happened was um, there's, there was no connection. And so she would bring me to church every once in a blue moon. And um, it would be non-denominational, very like what we would say is very, very charismatic, very, very like um, very, very multicultural, like super multicultural. That's understatement. Um, and again, that was just my area, to be honest with you. I always like was exposed to multiculturalism um, in its deepest aspect. And then on my mother's side, um, none of my no, none of my none of the family would go to church. I will say this: my mom. Every I say out of a year, maybe we might go once or twice, maybe, and that's you know kind of giving some grace, if you will. But I'm just just in case, like if there's something I didn't miss or something along those lines. But um, so yeah, that was kind of it. Um, so in high, you could kind of fill in the blank, you know, um, with some of the stuff that happened. You know, I let yeah. people on the different talks and so forth. I bring it out depending on what needs to be talked about and so forth. So like when you were in high school, what was your life like? Ha! Yeah, that was interesting. Um, it was dark to say the least. Um, one moving around a lot, especially during your formative years, being raised in Afro Latino, I can use these words now because it, it was really, really hard for me to come to understanding of like what it was that I saw at home and like in schools and so forth. Um, so we were very, very, and we use this term now in the African-American communities, um, we were very, very woke. Um, my pops would talk to me about, like, um, Martin Luther King, um, Malcolm X, and so forth. We, we knew um, the different struggles that we all had, if you will. Um, and so, um, you know, moving around all the time, being a new kid all the time, and then coming from that environment, um, it, it was very, very like hostile to say the least. Um, and again, no shade, no, what you call it, um, uh, ill will to my parents cause they tried their best, but it was, it was not good at all at home to say the least. Um, my pops was in the military, so he would go away easily. Um, I say out of the year, he would be gone about 10 months to say the least, maybe more, sometimes a little bit less. And, um, you know, he would come back when he could and, and he would try to pour into me. But, um, a, you know, a child seeing things that we saw at home um, from, ah, man, again, I don't want to throw my parents under the bus, man. Just it, it wasn't a good environment. And I'll just kind of leave that out. But then yeah. going into, you know, a new place, having all this like, man, like not fitting in, period. But then being from an urban environment wearing Jordans and so forth in different types of atmospheres, um, it did, I would always get in trouble, to say the least. Um, fighting was uh, like, I'm not even planning, I got kicked out of schools. Um, there were times that I would go to a school to where I was like, yo, I'm not even going to know these people, so I might as well not even talk to anybody. And, and I wouldn't because I'd be there for like two, three months, and I knew that I was going to leave. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was dark in everything that goes along with that, um, especially from the Afro-Latino um, environment, from, you know, drugs, um, alcohol, um, sexual, uh, man, like that was so common. Um, yeah, it was just, like I said, it was very, very interesting. Looking back, I didn't think, um, I thought everybody was like this. And again, um, the older I get, the more educated I got. There were certain things that that I was kind of like, oh, okay, that isn't a norm. Um, one was, here's, a, here's an example. One was like something like Planned Parenthood. 
Um, so my parents, uh, my mom went to college when she was like, I want to say I was in middle school. That's when she started. And she didn't graduate till I was already in high school. So I, I left the house when I was like 16, 17 years old. Um, so I really never saw that side. And my pops never. Um, uh, both of them dropped out of middle school. And so for me, um, school really wasn't important. It was always like the way I, I genuinely, and I tell people this in my talks, like I'm, I'm a big guy now. Um, one of the main reasons why I started working out, such as a young kid, was because I genuinely thought that I was going to um, go to the penitentiary or, or die. That's the reason why like, I, I worked out. Now it's just a habit, and um, you know, I look like the rock. So, so Alex, how did you like? How did you encounter Jesus Christ in the midst of this world? Like, what was it? How did Jesus yeah. break in? So, quick answer is despair. Um, I was about like twenty one, and and again, I didn't think I was going to live my life. A lot of my friends, penitentiary dead, like, and that's just, oh man, there's so many stories there. And so, what happened was, I was like, hold up, there has to be something more. And I went back to kind of like my childhood, um, you know. <laughs> how Augustine talks about, like, these things help form you. Um, yeah, so I went back to those times to where, like, my titi would take me to church, or even my mom would take me to church those few times. And um, and I remember in, in the moment of despair, and I mean that in, in the middle of, like, darkness, um, I remember looking around one day, and I'm looking around, and literally there were gang members, um, OG, that's like the head of, of a huge, huge... Um, click and and i'm looking around and they're ogs and everybody there has been in the penitentiary except for me i remember looking around and i'm like man i can be just like this or i can do something with my life and i'm like what am i going to do and i remember like walking away and walking outside i just lost a good friend of mine like my best friend he died uh he got shot 17 times in the back um in something he wasn't supposed to be doing and um and I remember just getting on my knees, and I, and I can say this on this one, is, man, I just opened myself up to the Holy Spirit. I was just like, God, like, yo, if you're real, like, help me, like, because I don't know, like, what to do. And um, I remember getting up, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I remember getting up, and, like, my life changed, like, legit. I think that's something we don't talk about a lot on on the Catholic side—the power of the Holy Spirit—and open yourself and up. You open yourself up. So I remember I, I woke up. I mean, I literally got up and changed. I just I turned to everybody and I was like, "Yo, I'm done." And people were like, "Yeah, whatever." I had already had a nickname, and and people ask me whenever I give talks, they're like, "Which?" Clip? I'm like, "Nah, I don't. I'm not naming anything along those lines," um, because there's a lot of drama that goes along with walking away from something like that. And so I did. I, I walked away. Um, long story short, I meet my wife. She's a cradle Catholic. Truthfully, I got her away from the church. Um, and because it was my mom, all I knew was non-denominational. My mom had started going to church at that time. I was already like, man, like 20 years old, 21, something. Yeah, 21. And um, we started going, and there were a lot of questions that I had. Because as, as Protestants, you're, you're told to study the Bible. And like me, the way my mind worked is um, I started getting heavily into apologetics. And um, a lot of questions didn't make sense to me. So the Lord led me, the Spirit led me to this. Um, I thought it was a non-denominational, but it was a Baptist church. And there was a big guy, and this is what I tell people all the time, um, you know, just as much as people from the inner city, that people that grew up like myself, um, people who come from broken backgrounds— 
it doesn't matter what we look like. If, if Christ is the center, we really can reach everybody. And um, so what happens is the guy named Niall Wintham, I talk to him to this day, he helped disciple me. He got to know my world, everything around me. He's the exact opposite of me, um, big Protestant dude. And so he got me, again, he got me heavily into apologetics and so forth, and like going to college, all those different things and stuff. I didn't even think that, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't even think that I could do those things. So I start going, I go to the Marine Corps, I come back, I link up with now, I get to be involved. Um, long story short, I find good theology on the book of Revelation, and it was Catholic. And I'm like, yo, there ain't no way that these Catholics are right about the book of Revelation. And I'm like, come <laughs> on, man. Like, these guys don't even know their Bible. And, um, yeah. And you were, you were a non-denominational <laughs> youth pastor this yeah. time, right? I was, yeah, I was not, I, what I would have told people was I was non-denominational going to a Baptist church. Okay. That's what I would have told people that. Um, I was not like, religion is bad, like I came from that, um, from that cut of cloth, if you will. But I'm um, very, very charismatic and so forth. Um, so, yeah, so long story short, I end up reading my way back, uh, leading my, reading my way into the church, and I'm here. Um, so I had about like, 10 years, 9, 10 years on the Protestant side of getting involved and heavily involved in youth ministry on that side. So I kind of was used to it a certain way, multiculturalism, different ways of evangelizing and so forth. And whenever I converted, I was like, okay, I have all this experience, and this is what I'm used to. How about I get involved on this side? And truthfully, um, I didn't fit. I was like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, And I thought at that time that it was the good Lord telling me that I shouldn't be involved in youth ministry at all. So I started doing a grad degree in theology, met some good people, um, you know, kind of hid that side of me, you know, how I grew up, even my family and so forth, you know. And during that time, even like I would go around my pops, my, my brothers and sisters, and they're like, yo, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, are you okay? Because I was like working some things out, you know, so I tell people, working some things out, you know. Um, and so... What happens is I end up working um, at a parish at it for adults, and it was just hard for me to fit in because I am, I'm like so multicultural, and I didn't see any of that, and I and I didn't know how to deal with it, and um, so I end up going to back to youth ministry because one of the pastors who helped me in converting to Catholicism had an opening in youth ministry, but I told him no. He he sent me emails like, look, I got an opening in youth ministry. And, um, you know, I, it, it's yours if you want it. And I'm like, nah, I don't want it. And he was like, look, why? And I tell him, I'm like, look, there's no way I don't fit. It would be totally different. And I see what's done, and, and I know that it's going to be opposite. All these things. And he's like, nah, I know your background. That's one of the reasons why I want you to do that. I had already finished my master's in theology, and I was like halfway done with my master's in philosophy. He was like, you have enough education. He was like, you have the practical experience. Just do what the good Lord puts on your heart. And so that was about like nine years ago, maybe eight years ago, something along those lines. Um, and yeah, and like now I'm here um, doing ministry. <laughs> so Alex, so, what yeah. like how how did the Holy Spirit like what what do you think was the major trend in your life that pulled you out and and brought transformation? Does that make sense? Because right. how do you no, go no, from? I'm glad you add that. Um, you you asked that question. Um, so. From my childhood, I remember going to this sermon. I remember very, very vividly. And I remember walking away from this sermon. 
and it was praying. I didn't know why I was praying. And I remember asking God, like, because Protestants are very much into the initial conversion. And I remember asking God, like, hey, God, can you come into my life? And what would my life look like? And I may, man, I may have been like six, seven years old, something like that. And, um, and I remember, in retrospect, the Holy Spirit telling me, like, you're going to be speaking to groups. But I remember having this conversation with, with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, nah, there's, there's no way I could do something like that. In fact, I would never want to pastor a church. And the Holy Spirit was like, nah, you're not going to. That was like a six or seven. I remember that conversation. I remember very, very vividly. Mm. Whenever you, you if, man, if I had time, I would show you like little instances um, of things that would happen. And, and I thought it was just myself talking to myself. <laughs> Because, again, I didn't have any, like, framework, per se, um, as a high schooler. But things would happen, and it would be like, okay, don't go there that day. And the one day I don't go do the, the same thing that I was doing two days before with a friend of mine, the friend of mine gets busted and goes to the penitentiary. It would be stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, you know, like, what was that? So forth, whatever. Good luck, you know? Then transferred to my initial, well, one of my initial conversions, if you will, um, to Protestantism, that moment of, like, opening myself up, I felt that what we would have said on the Protestant side, that, that, that baptism, quote-unquote, in the Holy Spirit, like, yo, this is real, and God exists. Like, if you would have tied me up to a lie detector test prior, I'd have been like, maybe. After, 100%. I would have passed, 100%. Um, then I didn't tell you this. So, the, so the, to the Catholic side, and again, I didn't know any Catholics. I knew very, very few, maybe like three or four Catholics at all when I, was, I converted to Catholicism. Um, doing the Bible study, and, and, and the, in the Protestant world, you're very much like in tune with like what the Spirit wants. So before you read Scripture, it's like going to adoration, is you get on your face, and you just like, Lord, whatever it is you want to show me, show me, tell me, tell me, let me open myself up. So... It was a deep understanding of Mary and Mary's interaction with the Holy Spirit. And not an academic, I want to make sure I say that, because it was a very mystical experience that changed my heart to the Catholic Church. In fact, it was Jesus on the cross and truthfully Mary looking up at him. And I put myself, I didn't realize that I was doing Ignatian spirituality. I had no idea what that stuff was. Um, but I, I had been doing it before I even converted and so I was doing that, and I saw Jesus look at me, and I saw, and I felt this warm feeling coming over, and I realized what his sword was and how it pierced Mary's heart and it pierced my heart. Wow. And I was like, yo, I got to come here. It's beautiful to have so much here, and I just want to take part of it. So I had that mystical experience at home on my own, meditating over the scriptures, and there are certain things that have happened since I've been Catholic um, in adoration and so forth. Oh, man, in ministry, oh, like just seeing how the Spirit moves, um, even harden, I mean, even um, refreshing and hardened hearts. Um, it's amazing, bro. I would not be here if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. That's real talk, man. <laughs> Amen. So, yeah. So, yeah. so you've been in ministry for 17 years. You've been Catholic for about eight or nine years, right? And then so yes, can sir. you share just like some miracles that you've seen or witnessed? Like how's the Holy Spirit inspired you to, to do urban outreach and youth ministry and all of that? What, what, like, what are you seeing on the, uh, as you do ministry? So what I see is um, 
oh man, there's so much here. I, oh, okay. In short, what I'm going to try to <laughs> say is what I see, I know, man, I'm sorry. Get um, it, get it, Alex. Come on. <laughs> okay. So what I see is I see this big division. So I go to the charismatic centers all over and I go speak at some of their events and so forth. I see this division where I know um, whenever you go to Acts 2, you see the Gentiles and so forth. You see kind of like God bringing everybody together. And you see this with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, all these different things and so forth. And so what I've seen is people who have been closed um, to doing, and, and it's easy, and, I, and this is the broad thing, it's easy to say that, okay, this is my brother, a Latino, or African-American, or whatever, just go down the list. But what if they're from a different socioeconomic background? What is that going to look like? And let's make it more real. This is what I tell people, like, yo, let's make this real. Let's pretend like somebody comes in wearing Jordans, tattooed on their neck, face, so forth, and they come in and like, hey, what's up? Are you going to move over? Let's be honest with each other. And so what I've seen through the years is doing ministry this way is it, it brings everybody to the table, even that element that I just described. And by the way, that's uh, except for the face and so forth, like I'm heavily tatted in Jordan and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen that. I've seen people kind of like turn their back per se. But then once they listen, more specifically what I do is I pray for my guardian angel to speak to their guardian angel and so forth. I've seen people come to me after a time and say, hey, you know what? I've judged you or I've judged this kid or something. Now I'm starting to see where we all need to be as a church. And I think that's the biggest thing um, as a whole is bringing everybody together to receive our Lord. And, and what's, what's cool is, so, I, I mean, man, there's so many stories that I can, I can give and, and I don't want to um, because then I'm going to be naming people and they're going to be like, yo, what are you doing? Um, what I'm getting at is I think we're at a church where we're defining what American, what American Catholicism is. And I think that if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit is doing, I think that um, we're going to keep being separate in our own respective rights. It's easy to say that that's urban ministry. It's easy to say that that's suburban ministry. It's easy to say that that's Latino and so forth. But why aren't we all together? And it's funny, whenever you talk to the younger generations, they get this. They get it. Like, just go down the list. I don't care. Like, from the suburbs to the country to the urban, everybody's used to being around each other to an extent. What I've seen through the years is uh, where the biggest hindrance comes is our own inadequacies. We bring to the table, and this is one of the things I'm glad, like, again, like the Holy Spirit has shown me, reflecting on how it is that I've grown up, um, all of our parents and so forth seen certain things and experienced different cultures and different races in a different way. My grandmother wasn't allowed to vote. That was because of a specific race. My father had to go to the back because of a specific race. So you hear things growing up. And what I see is the Holy Spirit is allowing doors to open. Like, let's address those things. Let's, let's get some healing in this. Now, how can we bring everybody together? Whenever I tell people this, especially in the diocesan roles and like some of the big places behind closed doors, nobody's even, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't hear this being talked about. What I do hear is, okay, let's do Latino ministry over here. Let's do this ministry over here. But what happens when the, all of us speak the same language? Why are we being separate? Urban ministry and so forth. So I've seen everybody come to the table. I, that's the biggest one that I'm, I, I've seen. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. How do you effectively do that? Like, I find that worship is the great unifier amongst uh, all people, right? When we come together and worship, whether you're, it just, it mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it just brings a spirit of uh, unity. 
Absolutely. No, I, I could not agree with you anymore. So in saying that, a big aspect of it is in worship is, is I mean, and this is Plato, to be honest with you. I mean, Socrates, he would say in order to change, he's talking about this in the Republic, in order to change young people, you need to watch the music that they play. I'm sorry, the poets they listen to. Translation for today is everybody listens to music, and it's a big part of, you know, for young people, per se, a huge part of it. And saying it, uh, that's a big part of worship. So one of the things that I do is I bring people from the world that they know, and it's a psychological thing that I learned in the Catholic, I mean in the Protestant world, from the world that they know to the world that we are very comfortable with. You cannot go to an urban, per se, um, and a, a dude standing on the corner and just say, yo, listen to monk music. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> now, we can talk about, yeah, I'm just being honest, we can talk about meat meal. And uh, Eminem and his stuff that's going on with um, Machine Gun Kelly, he's in a vibe to that. Now, in saying that, what's going to end up happening is the conversation is going to be like adversity. Now, we can talk about adversity. He's already put his walls down, and she already put their walls down. Now, they're starting to see me for a person. Now, they're starting to notice how I talk, how I interact with them. So now I'm able to start talking and bringing in different aspects of music and so forth they've never even thought of. And I do this different ways and so forth, from conversations to music to art. That's a big part of it and so forth. Again, I think what it is that we're doing in the American church is we're starting to define what it means to be American. And what it means to be American is very, very diverse. And I think what's happening in the American Catholic church um, is we're implicitly we're fighting that battle. We need to just name it and take it heads on. And I think, I feel, um, that the Holy Spirit has let me see a lot of this stuff growing up and able to break down some of these doors. Yeah, you know, I heard, the Lord I heard recently, which is really, mm-hmm. it really shocked me, the, um, it, you know, in the past, the lower, in, the lower class was one of the largest um, groups of churchgoers. Yep. They were the highest group of churchgoers, right? But now in the yep. modern American uh, church, the lower class is the lowest uh, group of churchgoers. And there's some, something shifted in the last uh, 50 to 100 years where the lower class has, has left church, even going to church at all. And Absolutely. I, I wonder, how, you know, so how can you, Alex, um, how would you encourage modern Catholics um, that maybe have not had your background, right, and, right. and aren't able to empathize um, or, I guess, aren't able to, um, to understand your experiences as, as well, what would you encourage them to do? How how can we take action? How can we um, start bringing uh, more just vibrancy within the unity in the church? Right. So the biggest thing is to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like, this is the way that I tell people. I'm like, do you honestly think that Jesus came so that we can have 2.5 kids and live in the suburbs? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. That's like, no. Well, then why do we live our faith that way? Yep. Let's be honest with each other. We need to be very uncom- We need to be very, very comfortable with being uncomfortable. Very. That's the biggest thing, because what's going to happen is this is the truth, and I see this because I see this generation. Man, I hear their heart, and they want this more than more because they're used to it. They're used to seeing when they go to sports, when they look on TV, when they go to Netflix. They're used to seeing diversity. They're used to seeing different elements of diversity, even lower income especially lower income and higher income. It's, we're the ones who separate that. So be comfortable with being uncomfortable. What does that mean, practically speaking? If you're doing something, right, let's just say an event, whatever it may be, how are the images applying to everybody? 
the music applying to everybody, the speakers applying to everybody, the flyers applying to everybody, and just go down the list, and the environment applying to everybody. What I've seen through the years, and I'm going to just say it, because I'm ending up writing my book about this, this is the truth. A lot of people, we do our ministry mainly for people who can pay for it. That's the honest truth. And I know that that's uncomfortable and so forth. I get it, which is why you need people from those environments, people like myself. People, and I'm not the only one by far. There's a, there's a handful that I think out of the nation that the Lord has blessed me with to come in contact with, and we're in constant prayer, literally, all the time for each other and for our church, because we love our church. We just want to be at the table, too. Because when you let somebody like us in, you're not just letting us in. What happens is there's two aspects to that is, one, the people who are already there get to see, like, hold up, this dude is challenging me, and he looks the exact opposite of me, and he talks different than me. That's one. Then there's the kids on the outside that's like, yo, this kid is, this dude is just like me. So hold up. Maybe I belong there, too. Maybe I need to look at this differently. That's uncomfortable, and I get it. Bro, I get it, man. It's uncomfortable. But, yo, if we're going to move forward. Not just, and I'm not, man, and I'm speaking, I'm passionate about what it is that I believe in. I love my church, but I'm speaking for a lot of people behind closed doors. And we don't feel welcome at the tables. And we're trying as much as we can. Bro, I have basically three masters in my doctorate. I'm trying. We're trying the best that we can to bring everybody to the table. But if we're getting... If we, if we feel that hostility when we walk in the room, what makes you think these kids don't? If I were to tell you stories of what's said behind closed doors, and I'm like, yo, you're going to say this to me? That's not even human, what you just told me. And you work for the church? Come on, man. We're better than that. Because wow. we're in the front. We should be leading the way. And this is the truth. If we, us, as Catholics, if, if 10% of us, 10 took our baptismal rights for what they really are, do you honestly think America would be in the place that we're in right now? Now, I know we're not in the worst place. I'm not saying I love my country. I want to make sure I say that. My, my grandfather was in the military, my, my, my father and myself. I, I get that. I'm not saying that. I love my country. But I think that's the thing that kind of like even hurts me more, is that we are better than this. And our church should be leading the way. We were the changers of culture for years. We've always been. Think of Dante. Think of Shakespeare. Just go down the list. We've always been. What has happened? What's happened is we're scared to go outside of our visible walls of the church, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 813. We're scared of that. And I know, and I know, if you're hearing this, I get it, man. It, it does. It's challenging. But you tell me when our Christianity, when our Catholicism was supposed to be comfortable. No, mm. you have a group of scared men, scared, 11 and they go change the world. That's our faith in its essence. Matthew 28, go, go. And I don't see that. I'm being honest with you. Not everybody. I want to make sure I see that. Not everybody. Of course not. But we do need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, changing things. With maybe, maybe my perspective is wrong. Maybe. And the only reason why I'm saying these things with such a conviction is because, I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of praying, a lot of spiritual direction, a lot of trial and error, and a lot of affirmation from people the exact opposite of me. 
I'm not perfect. I want to make sure I say that. And maybe everything that I'm saying is not 100% right. But come on, there is something that I'm saying. Are we being the true representative of what it means to be Catholic, universal in America? Amen. Yeah, I love Amen. that, man. I think the the word that we need to we need to see ourselves not that that effective ministry is not reaching out to different groups as different groups, right? But to, to actually reach out and be be one church. And and I think that it's so funny because we try to come up with solutions based off of segregation. <laughs> We're like, because, yeah, because we don't have enough Latino guys. ministry, let's just do more Latino ministry over here. And you see it so much in youth ministry where it's just like, oh, let's separate the, this group of kids and this group of kids and this group of kids. And if we do that, the kids are the area where we can actually bring unity. It's it's our opportunity. Yep. And what do the young people want? They actually want that. Like they, the, they, the, they want it. The thing is they go to school with these kids. They're on the same teams with these kids. I have been to parishes where they have a Latino ministry and, a, and an Anglo ministry. They know each other. Some of them even dating, speak the same language. Uh, yep. But they're separated because of, the, because of the parents. I'm going to be honest with you. Yep. Hmm. You know? Alex, we're going we're gonna to go to a break, and, and mm-hmm. I just want to thank you so much for joining us on our show today. And uh, if our listeners can, uh, if they want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? What's your website? My website is Alex, A-L-E-X, Gautay, G-O-T-A-Y, Jr. So it's alexgotayjr.com. It's just my name. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex, for the ministry you're nah, doing. Thank you, guys. The word you, that you are in the church. Thank and you. keep going, brother. Thank We're going to be right you. back after this short break. You're listening to Encounter. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. When you are predictable in your authority, you will actually have to use that authority less. Consistent discipline leads to less constant discipline. The more you act when you need to act, the less you will have to act in the future with similar misbehavior. The Doctor is In with Dr. Ray Garendi. Monday afternoon, 1 Eastern on EWTN Radio. In Father Augustus Tolton, the slave who became the first African-American priest, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers introduces you to a man who rose above seemingly insurmountable challenges to become a tireless messenger of the gospel. Father Augustus Tolton, the slave who became the first African-American priest by Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, now available at EWTNRC.com or call us at 1-800-854-6316. Hello and welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch into lives of extraordinary mission. Patrick, wow, man. We just heard from uh, Alex Gote, and he just got fired up there at the end, really talking about uh, some of the crisis in the church. What What's on your mind right now? Well, what's on my mind is like he did such a good job in the time that we had with him to really um, talk about the problem and to actually get... Um, I know I, I kind of felt uncomfortable. I'm like, oh man, we got a lot of work to do. But um, <laughs> I think there's some, you know, like my my first thing on my heart is like, I'm such a solution guy. Like, you know, God, what is the solution right now? Like, I'm, I'm thinking, what are the first steps that we can take right now as a church? I know there's a lot of leaders in the church that listen to our show, uh, parish leaders, even diocesan leaders. Like, what are the first things that we can do right now, Dan? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, well, I... I do think his solution was we've got to start being comfortable being uncomfortable. And I was thinking about how uncomfortable he's actually made himself to become Catholic, right? Where like 
the, a guy with tattoos all over his body starts going to like RCIA and mass and like, um, that's gotta be uncomfortable initially. Right. And, and, but he followed God's will for his life and, and just started living in the uncomfort and we got to do the same thing. And, uh, you know, one of the solutions I, I love, I think we've got to break away from this idea of segregated ministry. And we see this a lot in the church where we have like, Oh, well, we have a Hispanic ministry over here, and we have African American ministry over here, and we have, uh, you know, <laughs> and then what, what, like, what is it just then? So the, I love, like, we, we, we still are calling, like, Hispanic ministry minority, like, ministry to minority youth or something like that, but they're 40% of the American Catholic Church now. They're no longer, like, they're, they're, it's not a minority anymore. They're, they're, they are the church. And, and so we got to be one church. And what I, last week we did something really cool at our, our, uh, at Damascus. Um, we do retreats for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And what we do is we bring in multiple, uh, schools at one time and we have a, a retreat for them. And it was incredible because we had your basic, like, white suburban, uh, school come. We had a, a, a pretty poor rural farming community school come. And we had an inner city Hispanic school come and they were on retreat together. And um, what was so powerful is initially they got there and they were really uncomfortable and awkward with interacting with one another. But over the course of the weekend, uh, you saw this incredible unity happen amongst these three different groups of people um, that they were united in worship. They were united in, in adoration and they were united in friendship and what happened was a diverse church became one church. It was no longer three communities. It was one. And and instead of just, you know, you could say, okay, well, we're going to do the Hispanic retreats over here and the, you know, the inner city retreats over here and the, the suburban retreats over here. But then we're not being church effectively. and We're not raising our young people to understand the vision of unity. Yeah, that's so good. Like we, we could just do that. That would be amazing. What do you um, think some solutions are, Patrick? I, I, I like the idea of like abolishing politicized uh, leadership in the church, like the idea that you'd have an office for African-American Catholics, a, a Latino. Like, I see this all over the place. And I'm just going to say, you guys, uh, we, we got to transition and phase out of that stuff, because I think that's, in you know, um, adding to the problem, if you might. So, um yeah, yeah. I like we have instead of hate mail, Dan. Instead, but instead gonna, of having I'm, one leader, we. I mean, instead of having like all leadership that is diverse, we just have the one leader, right? It's like, oh, here's our here, here's our one diverse person on our staff, and and I think that let's is let's have it. Let's have an African American pope and an African American Hispanic pope. You know, that, that's ridiculous, yeah. right? <laughs> well, well, the the what and I think Alex hit it on the nose that when he was talking about his ability to to reach out to urban youth and to speak their language, what I was thinking is like. Oh, I can't do that. Like I've never listened to Eminem. I know nothing about Eminem, like Eminem's music. I know nothing about like. What about Machine Gun Kelly? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Like I, I literally <laughs> like am so ignorant. See, okay, I would I would have assumed that was a TV show. Like I, I'm so ignorant of that culture that I can't be. I mean, I'm going to go in and love, right? But but what we need to do is we need to raise up leaders who have encountered Jesus Christ and who are able to be leaders in, that understand that culture, that, that have come from that culture, and they go back, right? And, 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 and allow ourselves to start putting um, – we just need to foster authentic leadership in the church again that is diverse. And then I love it, taking advantage of opportunities for unity and like exactly what you did within your ministry. Like there's not going to be a centralized solution to this. But on our heart, it's like, God, we, we are one. What can I do 
in my parish in my ministry to bring unity like this and and I mean the doing a joint retreat like that um allowing holy spirit to to unify you guys um I yeah that's just amazing where can that type of thing happen in my life that's the question that we need to pray into and I think holy spirit will give us answers and solutions so I feel I feel really good about the fact that I don't have to give everyone the answer right now Dan how yeah. about you? No, I feel good with that too because it is mm-hmm. a um you know I think it's a an area in church in the 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 modern context of the American Catholic Church that is is difficult and um I think the important thing is intentionality that every one of us has to be intentional and we what we can do is we can understand that we've got two of of the greatest sources of unity at our disposal right like so we have the Eucharist which is the source and summit of Christian unity and we've got uh the gift of the Holy Spirit which is the unified love of the Father for the Son and the Son's love for the Father and it's just like that we have we have the gift of unity poured out upon us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And as we become more docile uh, to the Holy Spirit, it's not, like you said, it's not about these like political factions where we come up with strategies. It's actually, if we just worship in spirit and truth at the, at the feet of Jesus in the Eucharist and, and and in the Holy Spirit, we're going to find unity. I find more fellowship with, people who are living life in the Holy Spirit than anyone else. And it doesn't matter what their background is. I just have fellowship with them because they, they've encountered the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that I have. And I'm an adopted son and daughter and my sonship and their sonship is all that matters. That's so good. Um, we got to pray, Dan. We're running out of time. Let's do it. You want to take it? Yeah. In the father, son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, make us one. You pray that uh, we would all be one, just as you and the Father are one, that the world would know that we come from you. So, Lord, we pray that John 17 unity within our church, and not just in our church, God, but unify all believers together, because that's your heart. And we thank you um, that you're doing that, and we ask you to do it through us, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've listened to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people and launch them in the lives of extraordinary mission. Hey, Patrick, we just want to encourage all of our guests to share uh, Encounter with others. And so you can go to EncounterRadio.org and share our episodes with people. If this episode or any of our episodes have impacted your life, feel free to share that. We also have a podcast that you can go and, and search for Encounter Radio, and you'll find our podcast. And feel free to share that with others. If you want to share your life-changing testimony with our audience, feel free to reach out to us at EncounterRadio.org. Thanks so much for listening.